Hello, welcome to From the Basement Up. I am Michelle Brandris, founder of namebubbles.com, and I am so excited to introduce Guy Sean Chief with you today. He is the founder of Bambino Mio. He and his wife, Joe founded this company 30 years ago. He has been in business for quite a while, has over a hundred awards, selling to customers in over 50 countries. They are the sustainable choice for diapers and they're doing amazing things. I am so excited for parents out there to learn about this product. It's not just that they're cute. The product's cute. It's easy. You're going to find out about it. And the reasons why Bambino Mio is just the leader in the space. So thank you for joining us today. And I'm so excited for you to meet, to meet Guy. So Guy, welcome so much. And thank you for joining us on From the Basement Up. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So, and also just so the guests know, Guy, can you let us know where you're visit, visiting from? So uh, we, I live and, and our company is based in the UK in uh, Northamptonshire, which is about an hour north of London for those who don't know the UK. So really quickly, and Guy, you are a world traveler. Um, it sounds like you've, this is kind of how the company even got started. And if you don't mind kind of explaining how the idea came about, that would be great. So many, many years ago, uh, sort of over 30 years ago now, um, Joe and I, uh, we're husband and wife now, but uh, at that time we weren't, we were, uh, we were traveling. I trained in accountancy, um, a very bad accountant. And uh, Joe was working in retail. Uh, we both gave up our jobs, decided to travel. I'd always wanted to run my own business. Um, and it was a chance to travel for, we had no commitments um, to travel and, and, and sort of think about ideas and find ideas. Uh, our initial, we initially went to, uh, to India. Um, and after a couple of weeks into the trip, we found ourselves at the Taj Mahal and got speaking to a guy, funny enough, from New York, um, who talked about diaper laundry services, in New, which had been quite big in, the, in New York in the 80s. And, um, and that sort of sparked an idea, which we developed as we traveled. We actually came back to the UK in, in 92, uh, started one of the first diaper laundry services at that time, which we ran for a small period of time. It was never going to be particularly scalable, it, but it gave us a fantastic understanding of the products because you're seeing the customers every single, uh, you're seeing customers every day and um, you're relying on them to continue to use, use the product. And so, um, but a few years later, the we sort of closed the diaper service down and, and Bambino Mia was born. Um, buying and selling reusable reusable diapers um, and the rest as they say is history okay so I'm just curious when you when you think of it like the diaper business and I think that there's there's that sustainable part to this that's such a big you know it's it makes such a big impact on the on the planet was that one of your main reasons for going into this well it's very interesting and as you say I mean, I can I could bore you for hours on the stats, but uh, I mean, the big one is there's 90 billion disposable nappies thrown away um, every year in the world. Um, and it's a, it, it's a significant problem and it's a significant problem in sort of countries like we, we do a lot of work, as you say, as you say, globally, 21 percent of waste in Indonesia is just disposable. Uh, it's just disposable nappies. Uh, they end up in the sea. They end up in waste straight in, in the in, in, in the in the um, in the environment. But funnily enough, for me, it was always about a business idea. Um, and it seemed a logical business idea at that time. I don't know why it seemed a logical business idea looking back, because in the 90s, everybody used disposables. So mm -hmm. um, 
why would you set up a business trying to sell a reusable product when disposables is what everybody at the time thought would, would, would was the future and what everybody would keep doing. <laughs> so it was very much about a business idea and creating a business, but also creating a business that actually had some sort of purpose behind it. Um, and in actual fact, as the journey has gone along, that purpose, that reason for doing it has become even stronger as I've, as I've, as you alluded to we do lots of stuff outside the business whether that be lobbying or working with ngos or working with governments around the world and the more you learn about this product category and the damage that it does and the impact that it has um i suppose it's 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 reinforced that environmental element but no to answer your question originally it was a business idea so when i found you and i've been wanting to speak to you since the beginning i and i started the podcast about a year ago and I was like, wow, you know, just looking at what you've done around the world already. And I think I found on your website, you've basically saved 2 billion nappies, diapers from going into landfills. And how long does a diaper stay in a landfill on average? Do they even know? Well, they always quote the figures. It's, five, it's at least 500 years. Bury it. If you bury it in the ground in a landfill, it'll still be there. In sort of 450 500 years time that that's about how long it will take so yeah everything that all the all the dives have been thrown away and not incinerated um are still sitting in landfill oh it's terrible so i um i have a twin brother and sister behind me and my mom was so excited when she had a diaper service for for the twins behind me and then i remember um you know when my son was born i did use disposable diapers and she kept saying why 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 aren't you and i'm like they're they're convenient you know it's just easy and not thinking about the bigger impact and then hearing about what i had done later i had a huge amount of guilt i really did and the reason why I love yours so much is that they're designed so well that it, it's, it's like using just an easy to use disposable diaper. I love the look of them. How, because when you go from a regular diaper service, they're still probably using the safety pins and everything. Yeah. How did you go through that design process? Well, I, I can't, um, I can take no credit for that because that was Joe, my wife, uh, we started the business together and certainly the products um, and the marketing side of it was very much uh, Joe's area. So um, the the original diapers that we had in Babina Mia were very similar to diaper service, what, what, what you would know as the diaper service, the pre-fold, the pre-fold diapers um, and outer covers. And that, that's where we started the Babina Mia. Um, but actually, it's always been about, and our mission and purpose is still very much about just getting more people to use reusable diapers. And um, and therefore, as you say, you wanted to make them as easy as easy to use. And also, we realized that actually to get it more mainstream, it needs to be in mainstream retail. Um, and the idea of having uh, an all-in-one one size, which is what you're describing, with poppers to adjust the size, with Velcro, nice prints, modern fabrics, um, that was that was the development that came. We weren't the first to bring those sort of products to market, but certainly um, Joe developed the product based on when I mean, we had three at that point, we then had we had three young children of our own. Um, and so we were able to to um, they modeled them, they trialed them, but also a huge network of, of new mums who were who were committed to 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 reusable nappies and gave honest feedback on the product. So they were developed. Um, by users of the, the nappies were developed by users of the product. 
Um, and and I think as the category has grown, the demands from parents, quite rightly, has been um, as as uh, gets greater. I mean, nappies is not it's not rocket science. You need you need a nappy to be absorbent and to not leak. And those are the two those are the two key things. Um, and we're just going to be and and that's developed over time. So in, in a few months' time, we launch we launch a new sort of more much more improved version of of the nappy that, of the diaper that you're talking about um to to develop and bring it on so it's, it's been a constant involvement and how it was developed literally by a trial and error and lots and lots of babies lots of babies <laughs> so here in the u.s because you're you're one of the biggest you may be the biggest in the world in this space and so in the u.s market i i've seen you you have an online store um yeah. actually for u.s listeners right now and then i've also you're on amazon um yes. so are you also in the targets of the world and, and here in the U.S.? No, uh, no, we're not. I mean, one of the things that we are very aware of as we grew the company, um, and we grew very fast, certainly in the last sort of four or five years, we've grown very fast. Um, and we were selling in, we've sold in, in around 50 countries globally. Um, we're actually quite focused at the moment. So we're focusing very much on, on UK and our European markets. We've always done well in the U.S., um, and we have had some retail presence in the past, but as you say, we have our we have our website. We work with Amazon, um, and at the moment, those are our two key channels in the in the US. It's as I think lots of businesses find, especially European businesses and UK businesses, it's a very big market. The US and to do it, and and uh, certainly we as a brand want to make sure that when we go into a market, we do it we do it properly. So. Mm -hmm. It's great. I mean, we have we have a great following in the US, which is which is really exciting, and we and we really value. And there there will come a point where we can, we will hopefully add a bit be able to hit that market um, with much greater penetration in terms of in terms of retail. And it's not that we don't have conversations with the retailers that you've mentioned, but um, it's certainly yeah from a US point of view, it's it's website and Amazon, which is exciting because we still see growth there. Absolutely. I mean, so many people everything's come to our house, busy moms, you know, the last thing they want to do is go to the store with little ones. Um, so having things shipped to them directly is, is perfect. So I was and we just, do have, and I should, I'd be wrong not to say that we don't have, um, we do, we do have a few specialty stores and on online specialty stores, um, right. that we work with, which, which, and, and who do very well with it. And it's great. It's, it's great to work with those people as well. That's fantastic. So as far as the UK, you saw this is really where you started. Where in Europe are you spreading to at this point? So, um, I mean, export is still our biggest part. So 80 percent of our sales are export um, and Germany is our biggest market, um, has been for a few years now. Um, we sell all over Europe, but, but Germany is the is, is the biggest market. So, yeah, we started in the UK, I think for for, for baby products it's it's all it's always going to be a finite market there's only a certain number of babies that are born and i think if you look around there's two options really for for companies in the baby space one is to um is is to do what we did and and, and expand um to to other markets um, and one is to stick your brand on lots of other products well for us we are we are the experts in 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 reusable diapers in washable diapers so it didn't make sense to to extend that because that's not what we did. What we're known for and what we can do really well is diapers. So, yeah, the way we have grown the business over the years is is always twofold, really. More people coming to the coming to the brand, more people coming to more parents coming to reusable nappies, whilst at the same time um, expanding into other markets. 
Nice. What do you think the driver is for parents to go into reusable diapers? I think um, environmental issues is obviously top of the top of the list. And I think we as the generations uh, move on in terms of in terms of that generation that's having babies now, I think there's a much greater awareness, but not just an awareness about environmental issues, because there's always been that sort of awareness, as you say, you knew use disposables and, and, and lots of people use disposables and a lot of people a lot of people know about the issues but actually I think the generations now it's about wanting to do something about it it's about understanding the um, it's about understanding the issues and the problems that disposables are creating and actually wanting to do something and be part of the solution rather than be part of the problem and I think that's certainly what we've noticed over over time so environment is top but in the present climate, I mean, especially in Europe, the uh, with with the with the challenges of the cost of living, cost is really big for for a lot of parents using reusables. And the great thing, because it is a reuse product, because it's sure. proper circular economy, um, the number of sites that that where people can resell the product, a that makes it cheaper because they can resell it at the end. But also, there's ways of of sourcing secondhand product at very good prices to be able to get people using reusables. Okay, I. That's such a great point to put out there. Have you do you, on your website? I didn't see that. Does it kind of, I just remember spending so much money on diapers. It just, you know, and you just be throwing your, your, in essence, you're throwing your money away. So I'm just curious, how much does an average child, how much does it cost to go through the disposable diapers versus like, how much money are you saving families? Well, you'll save a significant amount. I'm going to have to translate this quickly in my head in terms of dollars, but you can probably buy the full set of reusable, the, the full set of reusable diapers. If you bought everything that you needed and the accessories um, is going to be sort of probably just under $500, something like that. Um, disposables will be, I mean, they're going up in price, disposable diapers quite rapidly. And um, that, that'd be well over a thousand dollars. But of course, if you then have a second baby, you've already got the diapers then to use again. So you save a full, you 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 save much more. So um, the savings is quite high. I think one of the one of the uh, barriers that that we have to the brands like us have to get up over is that upfront cost because a lot of people don't have five hundred dollars to spend on um, to spend on um, on diapers up front. So. There is that secondhand market that I talked about, but actually as a brand, one thing we're doing is working as much as possible to be able to split that cost. So we've launched in the UK and this will roll out to, to other countries um, in the future, a system where people can pay for it over 12 months. So you're not paying any extra each month for what you would pay on disposable diapers, but at the end of 12 months, you own them. And then after 12 months, it's not costing you anything. And there is that, you alluded to the fact that we sell on Amazon and for certain and, and Amazon does on the big kits does offer that that facility to pay over over a certain number of months to split that cost. That is such a good idea. I love that. Just not so they don't have to do the upfront. That's such a good idea. So when and when did you roll that out? So um that was that was trialed in the UK um at the back end of, of last year, back end of 2022 now rolling out in the UK and then we'll roll out to Germany and then then other areas but as I say there are certain retailers that we work with in the US Amazon is one of those where actually that 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 option is available for people as well and I think the other thing is that um, some parents find it easier to use a mixture of disposables and and reusables at certain times so actually the the 
there is that option of sort of buying them as you go along, as it were, as you build up your um, the amount that you need. I did notice that you have um, like potty training uh, pants and then also swimmers as well. Um, how are those? Are those starting to pick up as well? They've always been a big part of our business, actually. And if you go to say not so much in the States, but if you go to most supermarkets, um, grocery stores in the US, grocery stores in and, and pharmacy in, in Germany, um, most of them list our swim swim diapers and um, and, and trainers. And that's I think for a lot of parents, the reason why those do very well is because you can, when you see it on the shelf in the grocery store, you can see the comparison with the cost for a start that 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 one pack of the disposable version will cost will cost more in some cases than the than the than the, than the washable one than the reusable one, and also it looks nicer and feels nicer and can be much more of an impulse purchase for parents and they realise they perform well. Um, I mean the whole reusable, whether it be nappies or trainers is um, we did some research, we've done research and others have done research to show that um, babies will come out of um, reusable diapers a lot sooner, up to 18 months sooner than disposables. Obviously there's lots of things that influence potty training, but actually the feel of the wetness so you can, so the baby can associate uh, is all part of that, that learning process, which doesn't happen with disposables. Okay. Um, obviously with my, um, with my cynical head on, it, it allows the disposable companies to um, to keep you in uh, buying their diapers for a lot longer than that you would do with reusables. And, right. and it increases the cost significantly and probably puts uh, a significant number of disposables into landfill by babies staying in those nappies. So I, I love just that you started this business because you thought it was a good business to start. And then it's, it has this huge benefit for the planet and for so many people out there. Um, you've won many awards. And I, you know, there was, there's things that I don't understand what they are just because they're based in the UK, but can you, can you explain some of those? And then some of the work, like the Island of Vanuatu and just how uh, single use plastics aren't allowed in some places and how you're stepping in to help. So from an awards point of view, yeah, we, we're really lucky that, that we've had, um, I feel very privileged and, and humble that we've, that we've won quite a considerable number of awards. So we've probably won 100 consumer awards for our various products for the swim nappies for the swim diapers for the diapers themselves and and then we've won we've won um lots of business awards as well for for export for for sustainability i suppose some of the highlights are um we've won two queens awards so um the late queen started awards back in the 50s when she first became queen um and there was a couple, there's, there's four categories now, but essentially the, the two big ones and the two we've won are for international business and for sustainability. There's only ever been 7,000 of these awarded through 70 years. Of her wow. reign. We won two of those, which was, uh, which was a massive honour. Um, we were also listed, I think three, two years ago, we were listed in the Sunday Times, 100 fastest growing companies in the UK which was um which was a which was a great privilege and i was um lucky enough to be 12 years ago awarded an mbe a member of the british empire which the again the queen awards um to 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 various people um to acknowledge not not i mean it was it was it was for business but it was it was acknowledgement of a lot of the the lobbying and the um the campaigning work that that, that i've done over the years um in this area Congratulations. Sorry, what was the second point? And the second point was about Vanuatu. 
Yes. Yes. And, and I love how you pronounce that. <laughs> I definitely had that wrong, but I would love, you know, when I was doing my reading, I was like, wow, just how you're impacting people everywhere. And it, it's just becoming such, it, it is a big thing, not becoming, it is a big thing. And I would love to have you share that story of how you're impacting people on these islands. So Vanuatu is a very small island, uh, a set of islands um, off the east coast of Australia. Um, they are affected by more natural disasters than any country in the world. Um, they announced a ban on disposable diapers about four or five years ago as part of a wider plastics ban. Um, and um, I mean, you have to remember that a lot of these Pacific countries and, and a lot of countries in the, glo the global south, and it's, it's one of those things that I've learned having done, having done this, um, and it's quite, and it, it, it's, it, it's one of those things that drives me to do more and more of it, because a lot of these countries, they do not have the infrastructure. I mean, Vanuatu has one um, municipal waste facility um, on the main island, and that's it. And yet these large corporations are pumping single-use products, whether it's nappies or, or anything else, into these countries over the last 10, 15 years, where there is no way you're ever going to get rid of them. So they get buried in the ground or they're washed out to sea. 25% of uh, Vanuatu's waste is just disposable diapers. Um, and as I say, most areas of the country don't have any way of getting rid of them because they're not geared up single-use products. So they get buried on the beach and washed out to sea, which is why nappies are something like the 16th most commonly found item yeah. in, in the oceans. Um, so they announced the ban. I got in touch with um, with the government minister out there who was involved. They actually rode back on that because it hadn't been dealt with particularly well and there was a backlash. I mean, the fascinating thing is that um, the issues around acceptance of reusables is the same the world over. It's not about taxing. It's not about banning. It's about education. It's about people realizing what the issues are and taking action themselves to, to put those things right and understanding the benefits of not just the environment, but cost. And, and also a lot of parents who get more and more concerned about the chemicals and plastics next to the baby's skin for the first, for the first two and a half years. So what we did is we, we did two things in Vanuatu. Uh, one is we teamed up with a cooperative that was already out there, um, a local cooperative that was already producing um, reusable sanitary wear and reusable nappies in a, in a reusable diapers in a small way um, just for the local market and to help them scale up, to give them some advice and give them some help um, so they could provide for the local market. But also we funded a project to go out into to meet parents throughout Vanuatu, so not just in the city, but maybe maybe parents are out on islands where there was no running water and no electricity and actually get them to to understand what reusable diapers meant and what the implications of them were and how they worked and see them and feel them but at the end of that project over 80 percent of parents who'd seen the product then had an acceptance of it so we're still hopeful at some point nice. uh, that, that, that more will happen there but and then obviously covid intervened and, and travel in the pacific was very difficult and, and and obviously priorities were were in different places but we're in discussions at the moment we very much hope to um over the next 12 months to to lead on a project with various ngos in that area um to 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 really drive the adoption of reusable nappies across quite a number of countries within the pacific because the issue is so much so much more pressing for the for the reasons that i that i described so, I mean, it's a great solution. It's fantastic. And thank you for doing that work. And one question I was curious about was, 
you know, you, you've had this huge surge of growth and like, I know it can be hard when you suddenly your orders start flying and coming in. How have you been able to handle this? So, um, we, we, uh, we've grown the business. So two or three years ago, we'd grown very rapidly. We made the decision, um, when would it be now? Probably two years ago that actually the, the impact that we can have and the growth that we can have in the, in the company could be a lot more significant. So actually we made the decision, uh, two years ago to take on investment, to, to sell, to sell part of the business and to take on investors because, um, to sit alongside us, to help us, uh, to help us, push forward um, and bring in expertise and bringing bring in, bring in people who were experts at growing businesses. We'd created this business, taken it to a certain level. We wish we got it to a point where we knew that the opportunity for this business was was huge. But actually you need it, you need investment both in terms of in terms of cash, but but more importantly in terms of in terms of experts to come in and help you drive that. So that's the way we've dealt with it. I think what you find when you start a business, and I think this is, I've discovered this in the last little while, when you start a business from scratch, you tend to build on what you've always done. So when you've then done it for 20, 25 years, what you've created seems simple in your head, but actually it becomes incredibly complex and it becomes more and more difficult to then drive significant growth going forward. So we've been as a business in a really interesting period since the investment, because actually we've looked at everything from, from supply chain to suppliers, to marketing, to our messaging, to our structure, um, and actually putting the right things in place to be able to drive that growth on um, going forward. It's been a really important exercise for us because I think the biggest challenge you say is how do you cope with it? We did cope with it and we, 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 managed, to, we managed to deliver that growth, but I think that would, had we not done all the things we've done in the last 12 months, that would become more and more difficult if all we've done is just continue to work in the way we had done because businesses go through different stages. And at some point you need to, you need to go to that next level. And I think the, I think the danger a lot of businesses fall into, uh, which hopefully we've avoided is you start, you believe your own success because actually if you're doing really, really well, then why won't that just continue? But I think if you look, a year forward or two years forward, especially with really ambitious growth, that actually your infrastructure won't necessarily, it's fine up to a certain level, but you need to change it to move on. Very smart. Now, how has this affected you on a personal level as far as that work-life balance? Has it been, are you just riding a rocket and you'll slow down when you run out of gas or is it just, have you been able to step back a little bit and allowed other people to kind of take the reins? Um, yeah, so I've I've moved to um, to what is termed um, a founder role now, which is great um, because yeah, the idea was to bring in people who could then drive it forward and be accountable for driving it forward as well. So there'd be no point in taking the investment to to do that and then feel that I needed to keep uh, pushing that forward. So in terms of the business, then um, we've got people in to do that to run day run it day to day. So so I was able to step aside. Which is in it, which has also meant that um, I'm being I am able to do much more of the um, of of the bigger stuff, the, the the working with governments, the 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 telling people about the category. The I mean, we're very lucky in that yes, we're a pur- what people would term a purpose-driven business. We were a purpose-driven business before anybody sort of defined it in that way. 
but I think the other the other I mean it's not unique, but the other the other great thing about Bambino Mio is our purpose it, our purpose objectives are completely aligned with our commercial per our commercial objectives because of course as the business grows as the category grows we grow along along with that so actually I am able to go out and um, shout about the issues about disposables promote the use of reusable nappies um, knowing that Bambino Mio can be part of that solution and there are people within Bambino Mio who have the skills and the experience to be able to grow a business and and react to that change in the market. Thank you for sharing that. So it's just, I think that you've been in this a long time. So, wow, to go through all of that and then have investment come in and then to be able to step back and now you're making this a big difference in the world. You are. So it's, it's so cool that you started the business and it's this wonderful positive side effect that you're able to imprint and have. So that's wonderful. Thank you. I, I did want to ask, um, you know, to actually Bambino Mio, how did the name come about? Um, well, when we ran the, um, very briefly, when we ran the diaper service, um, we were selling some of the product. We were acting as a, as a distributor for, for, for a company that was selling products. And we were actually selling some, somebody I knew who'd, who'd just written a brochure, a, a mail order brochure to sell reusable diapers called Bambino Mio. But she'd written this brochure and said, I really don't want to do this. I want to move and, and horses is my interest, but I've just printed 10,000 brochures. Now we <laughs> knew we were going to make the transition into doing mail order and moving away from the diaper service. So we said, well, look, close your company down. We can change the name of our company to Bambino Mia, which means we don't need to throw away. You don't need to throw away 10,000 brochures and we inherited it. So it was luck rather than design. It's, it's seen us really well. Um, and actually she got it from the person who started that company, got it from a, um, 1980s um tv film about adopting um babies from uh, eastern europe okay called starring julie walters if you ever want to try and find it online <laughs> so typically i wanted to know i like asking like the toughest lesson and you know those big lessons are great for um we have Colleges, a lot of colleges actually also listen to the podcast, and I'm sure they're business students. But what what is a tough lesson that you went through that you wouldn't mind sharing? So uh, back in 2010, 2009, 2010, we um, we lost a huge amount of turnover over a short period of time. So we used to work we used to work with distributors. We now work in our, all our markets direct. We used to work with distributors, and our two biggest distributors had issues in their own businesses which meant they stopped ordering over a period of time. So our turnover fell by more than a third in the space of about six weeks. Um, and actually the initial reaction was, well, it's always come back. We've always been a growing business. We started from scratch, it will come back and it didn't. And I think uh, there's a couple of really important lessons that um, that, that, that um, I learned from that. One is there's no point just sitting back and you can sit back and blame everybody as long as you like. You blame the distributors, you blame the market, you blame, I don't know, blame the staff, whatever you want to do. But actually, that's never going to get it sorted until you take ownership of that problem and just sort it out. You can moan as much as you like, but actually you need to own that and, and deal with it. Um, and the second thing, which I think is, is a recurring theme for us as business owners, and I think for others who start businesses, is... You think you're in the worst possible time for the business and you personally, but actually 
what always comes out that the, the it's almost like the worse it is the better the decisions that come out of it so i think back to that time and we made big decisions to then go to market directly uh, to not work to not work through through distributors to work more, more with grocery stores and there was one or two other decisions that we made at the time which actually led and, and, and the stuff we did in digital which actually laid the foundations for then our success for the following 10 years but if we hadn't been through that bad time that would we, we would never have done that um, and i think the whole of the journey is littered with those examples that when you're when you think you're in the absolute worst of time, that's sort of when you're making the most significant decisions. I I hear you on that one. Absolutely. You're looking at the budget, you're looking at everything you're spending, making sure everything makes sense. So yeah. I, I definitely hear that one. Um, one other thing was I love ending these conversations with like a positive story, words to live by, kind of your mantra. And if you wouldn't mind also sharing like your best story, the, the most positive story, and then kind of your your mantra of the day that you typically start off with. Well, I think my mantra, which is always, um, which I've always followed, I think my dad had this as well. I remember learning it from, from him, which is um, the saying of a man's reach should exceed his grasp, which is always going, I mean, because, in the early days of starting this business or saying we're going into into reusable diapers people thought we were mad but always but always sort of going further than you think always aiming for for, for much further than than actually anybody would think that, that that you could or even you personally think you could because actually um you should always be striving to for for for, for as far as you can possibly push it uh and certainly for us the um, certainly for us, the 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 idea of if you'd said to me 25 years ago that yeah we'd be selling in we'd be selling in 50 countries we'd be in, we'd be in in grocery stores would be and actually the the talk in the world and, and sitting in meetings I mean that the, this is you talked about good moments I will give you a, a very special moment in a minute but um, always always what I always get a buzz for I feel good about is I've been in meetings. In, in the most bizarre places around the world and people will sit in their meeting and say, oh, yes, I used your product or my daughter used your product or, or <laughs> my friend used your product. And that's always that is always. And I think that will never leave me in terms of being really special. And when you started, you started uh, you started really small, um, I suppose. I mean, there's lot, been lots of great moments. I mean, I've been really lucky because one of the great things about doing this and starting it from scratch is your job is different every year you work on it because the business grows. So what you're doing is very different. One of the special moments we were, as I mentioned earlier, we were lucky enough to win. We've won two Queen's Awards. The first one we won was the Queen's Awards for Export and we were presented to, um, uh, we were presented it by Princess Anne, uh, the Princess Royal. So she came and visited our, our offices and she 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 walked around and, and met everybody and it, and it was really nice. And then, um, she has, I think she's got three or four grandchildren. She just had her, she just had her last grandchild when she came to visit. And so we'd actually commissioned our product development team had actually done a print that was specifically her daughter rode um, in the Olympics and her, her son-in-law played played rugby for um, for England. So we we did a design. We only produced two of them for her to give, which was a which was a rugby design and a horse design. 
And at the end of the tour, we we presented it to her and she turned around to me and said, oh, well, we um, that's great because we already she already uses your products and we took a delivery. Uh, in fact, I was there last week when we took a delivery. Um, oh, so that was cool. a that was a that was a real special moment to know that royalty was uh, was using the products. But there's been lots of them. There's been lots of them. Lovely. I love that. Guy, thank you for joining us today and telling us your story and your journey. Actually, thank you for making this change. It was a needed change and I we're all go going to be appreciating it for many years to come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners for joining us for today's episode. And thank you to my amazing producer, Emily Flanagan. She deals with all my shenanigans. Um, Julia Augustino, thank you for the amazing composition that you have made for the podcast. And listeners, feel free to check us out on our social media channels. Don't forget to give us a five-star review. And you can also visit us on fromthebasementup.com. Thank you so much.